John 14, verses 1 through 6. Hear then the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, for I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As far as the reading of God's holy word, let's bow and ask his blessing upon his preaching. Lord, we pray as we live in a dark time, we have darkness within our own hearts, that your word indeed would be a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path, shining your glorious truth of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. The opening words of this chapter speaks about hearts being troubled. I'm sure at some point in your life, either some point already or, or some point in the future, if not right now, you might have reasons for your hearts to be troubled. In fact, we have just now, many reasons that our hearts may be troubled. How many times in the last few months have you heard the phrase, in these uncertain times? Perhaps you're getting a bit sick of it. But there's a truth to that phrase. These times are uncertain. There is political and social unrest leading to violence. There is what people in past generations called plague and pestilence in the land, what they now call a pandemic. Suppose you have to use a word with P one way or another. But this sickness indeed is spreading. It's claiming lives. It is putting loved ones that we know into the hospital, taking some of them away from us. And even as we have just heard an OP minister, the one I, I met at the General Assembly, I went to a few years ago is one of those who is now struggling and suffering. The economy, because of all of this as well, is uncertain. Businesses are going under. Businesses people may have invested years of their life and all of their savings into may be going under. Which means the people that work at them are now wondering how they will earn a living. To put uh, even more on top of this, there are fires raging across much of the West. We see the smoke that has even come to us, and several OP families have lost their homes, burned to the ground, in churches that we know. These are uncertain times. These are troubling times. When we look out at these many things, 
There are reasons for our hearts to be troubled. And yet we can look back across history, and though this is a, a very unprecedented time, as we are also told, in another sense, these things are nothing new. We have the COVID-19 coronavirus, but there has been, before it, the Black Death. We have political uncertainty, and yet many Christians lived through and experienced the fall of the Roman Empire and thought, what is coming to this world that I have known? It's interesting, even when I was back in college, a professor, a history professor, read a quote that came from the fall of Rome. This would have been not too long after 9-11, and it could have been written that year. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. There are uncertain times throughout human history. There are reasons throughout history for your hearts to be troubled. And it all traces back to the very first man and first woman, where man lived with God in paradise, but then he sinned. And he plunged the world itself into disaster. He, for his sin, was cursed by holy God. And that curse includes toiling in labor by the sweat of his brow to eat. It includes increased pain in the labor of bearing children. It includes separation from the perfect garden of God being cast out. And it includes death itself. As we turn to John chapter 14, the disciples knew these things. They knew life in an uncertain and cursed world. But as we have seen, they were witnessing something new. They were witnessing the coming of God's Holy One. They had seen this curse begin to come undone. They saw as some have said, the bad things come untrue. Where the ground was cursed and so it required toil to labor in the economy or in their day to labor in the soil to get food, they had seen Jesus Christ multiply wine and multiply loaves to feed people. Where the curse brought pain and sickness, Jesus brought healing to the lame and to the blind. Where the curse brought death, Lazarus had been raised by Jesus' powerful word. All of this is wonderful. Life is getting better. God's promises of restoration are coming true. And yet now, the one who had done all of this, the one undoing the curse, says, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot yet follow. That's what he said to Peter last week. The disciples begin to understand that Jesus will not always be with them. And Peter doesn't accept it. We saw last week he wants to lay down his life for Jesus, 
prevent that from happening, to keep Jesus around so that he can keep doing these things? They thought they were living in the glorious end of the story, the happy ending, which was finally going to come after generations and generations. And now Jesus is telling them, you know, the story doesn't go exactly how you think it will. They will soon see their friend and their Lord, the leader of their movement, the one doing these great wonders, betrayed, tried, convicted, and executed. That is why Jesus begins to comfort his disciples in this passage and those around it. Their hearts had reason to be troubled because Jesus was going away. And so he has to tell them, guys, it's for your good that I go away. In this passage, he has to bring them a future hope. He tells them, you can't endure the present because of what I'm telling you will happen in the future. This is not the end of the story. As much as it may seem like my death will be the end, the ultimate defeat, he says, I am going away. Yes, that you will follow. I'm going away for your good. He tells us in this passage how we can follow him. We learn here that it is only by putting our trust in Jesus' death and glorification that we will be able to follow him into the blessed presence of the Father for which we were made. We were made to dwell with God in paradise. And the only way we can get there is by believing in the death and glorification of Jesus, his servant. In examining the passage this morning, I want to turn our attention first to the place which is prepared. Jesus holds out a future hope and a place which he goes to prepare for his people. And he begins with these words of comfort, let not your hearts be troubled. We can think even there of the graciousness of the Savior, thinking at this time not of himself, but his disciples. He's facing the betrayal of one of his own, the agony of the cross, being forsaken by the Father. And for this reason, we have read that his heart was troubled. Yet, as a servant, he turns his attention to his people, to his friends and disciples, and says, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, don't be troubled, but trust in God. Because this is the hope that you have. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. He says, look, there are uncertain times coming when you will not know what is going on because in your minds, this is not how the story ends. But he says, I am coming back. There will be a reunion. You will be with me, and we will be for the Father, because I am going to prepare a place for you. He says, in my Father's house, 
there are many rooms. He promises that in the future, you will be with me and I will take you back into the house of the Father. We read in the Old Testament, as we read in Psalms this morning, of the glorious pleasure it was for the people to come into the presence of their God. In the Old Testament, symbolized very concretely into the glorious temple of God. It looked like a palace sprinkled with gold and, and fine colored fabrics. And that was where God lived and his people said how wonderful it is to go and be with God in his house. And Jesus here says, I am taking you to the real house which that earthly temple represents. I will bring you back the Father's house. I go there to prepare a place for you. How wonderful it is to dwell with the Lord. What is the chief end of man we ask in a catechism? It is to glorify God, as you did in the temple, with sing his praises, and to enjoy him forever. That is where we find our chief joy, our true fulfillment, where we are fully actualized it's in the presence of our God. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going. And that's where I will take you. To be in the presence of the Lord. Actually, in the, the verse following our passage this morning, verse 8, Philip says to the Lord, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He, in that way, he gets it, Philip does. He's off, which we'll talk about next week, in understanding that Jesus needs to show him the Father. But he says, look, if I can just see the Father, if I can just be with God and behold his face. Jesus says, that's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to the Father's house, where I am going to prepare a place for you. And he says not only that, but I am going myself to return, and I will bring you there. I will take you to a land with no plagues, no hunger, no death, and the fellowship for which you were made, dwelling in the presence of God, who is life itself. This is the future hope which Jesus holds out. And so when life is difficult and uncertain, when Jesus is gone away, we deal with these uncertain times. We know that we do have a future hope. Our best life is not now, but our best life will be then. And that is what we look forward to. This raises the question, though, how do we get there? If man was barred from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, when our first parents were exiled from that beautiful country, and he posted guards and a flaming sword went to and fro, guarding the way back. How is it that Jesus can now bring us back to God? Why can he return to God and bring us with him? Jesus promises us a future hope. He says, I go to prepare this place. But there is a way of his preparation that we must remember. There is a way that this is prepared. And it is a subtle point in our text. It's not, in some ways, not even in this text itself. But we have to read this in context. 
Where this passage falls in John's gospel, again, is because Christ's death is looming. That's why he's giving them this farewell to prepare them for his leaving. It's all in this little word, go. I am going away. And the fact that Christ is going away is the only reason that we can go with him to the Father. The way back to God is actually made by the departure of Jesus. The reason we can go back to God is because Jesus is going to him. It's not as if, on the one hand, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'll be working for thousands of years. It's, it's got to be a really big house to fit all you guys in. Um, and I'm a carpenter, and it'll take me that long. No. It's the way in which he goes that makes a way for us to dwell with God. And how does Jesus go? How does he depart from this world? Why is he no longer going to remain with his friends? Because he is going to death. He is going to death on the cross. That is what he knows is in front of him. That is what he has told Judas, go and what you do, do quickly, so that he can be betrayed and given into the hands of the Gentiles, so that he can suffer. Adam, the first man, the representative of all mankind, was rejected by God and sentenced to death for his sin. And now Christ, the second Adam, will be forsaken by the Father on the cross. And he will serve the death sentence man deserves. So that when you come knocking on the door of the Father's house, you can say that in Christ, I've paid my debt to divine justice. The sentence has been served in my place. And this is the only way, Jesus says, to the Father. We can't be good enough to make up for our bad deeds, for our sins which have earned us this death sentence. We can't be smart enough to have our doctrine right enough. We can't be sincere enough in our beliefs. We can't be nice enough to other people. The Bible says the best that we do, our very best works, are as filthy rags compared to the Lord's righteousness and what he requires. We cannot do it. The only way was for Jesus to go, for Jesus to leave them by dying, being glorified, and raised into the presence of the Father. He said, the only way is that I go to prepare a place for you. There is indeed a place prepared. There is this future hope which we can look to, and it has been bought by Jesus Christ with his precious blood as he left his friends on earth. And the only way that you can go there, that you can go to heaven, that you can be a part of this, is to put all of your trust in Jesus Christ alone. See, the way has been prepared by Jesus. 
But we will only arrive at the destination if we trust in Jesus himself, in his death and resurrection for us. He told him, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He urges them to believe in him. That means to put their trust in him. It's not just something in your head. It's not just crossing a, a check mark. Yeah, that's what I think is true. I'll put that answer down on the pop quiz in the day. He says you must trust in me. That's what it means to have your faith in him. One illustration that I think is particularly apt involves a tightrope walker who stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he drew many crowds as he walked all the way across, putting himself in jeopardy. And the people saw him do it and they cheered. And then he went and he, he threw his balancing pole aside and grabbed a wheelbarrow and pushed it across this tightrope. And he asked the people after he this a number of times, do you think I can do that again? Do you believe I can walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And the people said, yeah, we've seen you do it. Do it again. They had an intellectual belief. But what this man wanted was somebody that trusted him. And so he asked, if you believe, are you willing to get into the wheelbarrow while I push it across? Faith in Scripture, saving faith, is not just a faith that's in your head. But it is one that fully trusts in what Jesus Christ has done. Just as you all are, in one sense, exercising faith in the chairs beneath you. You came and you looked at them and you saw this look solid and it will support my weight. Has anybody sat in one and placed your faith in a chair that was not a good object of trust? You ever sat on an old one, maybe a wicker chair where the wicker was rotting and kind of fell through? Jesus says, the only way back to God is by me, and you must trust in me. He says there is only one object for your faith. He tells them, you know the way to get there. He's saying that because he says, you know me. You've been with me. They've been following him for years, and yet, as so often happens in John's Gospel, they, they don't understand what he's actually saying. And so Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Give me the directions, and I'll punch you to my GPS. Give me a map. He's thinking too literally. And so Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the one you have to believe in. Me alone. Because it's not your belief itself that's the main point. Some of you may very firmly have believed and trusted in a chair that could actually not support your weight and paid the consequences with a little embarrassment and hopefully no major injuries. You had belief, didn't you? You thought that chair would hold you up. What the issue is, is not your belief itself, but it is what you put your belief in. And here Jesus says, the only thing that is worthy of your belief and your trust 
The only thing worthy of you staking your eternity on is in me, in my death for you. Christ says, you must believe in me. I am the way to the Father. Your faith must walk in this road. You must believe in me. In saying this, he tells them that it is no longer enough to believe in all of the Old Testament types and shadows that pointed to him vaguely. He says, now that I'm here, you must believe directly in me. And he tells us that no other religion, no other philosophy is a fit object for your faith and your trust and your dependence. Nothing else is going to get you there. Not all roads lead to heaven, though they may lead to Rome. He says, any way else that you go, you're not going to arrive at the destination. You won't make it to the Father's house. You will end up paying for your own sins yourself for eternity, unless you believe in me. Many people in our world have a very sincere faith in some false religion or ideology. I just pray hard enough to a false God. That will be enough. I believe enough in some other object of faith. If I am sincere enough in my desire to follow this ideology to make the world better, that will be enough. But Jesus says there is one way that sins may be atoned for, and it is through him alone. He says there is one way to heaven, one road, and that way is through me. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so Christ bids us to come. He invites us to believe and put our faith in him, to look away from all of the other things that the world says. This is what it's about. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to believe. This is the movement you need to be a part of. He says, no, it's all about me. I'm the way. Start down this road. Put your faith in me. There are many rooms, he says. He says, I'm waiting to invite you into heaven. Trust in him. Put your faith in him alone. He says, take heart in the midst of trouble. Because if you are trusting in me, you may find uncertain times. You may find times that test and try your hearts. He says, look, I promise you, I'm going away to prepare a place. That my death and going away is for your good. That you have this future hope, which is sure. As difficult as it is, even God, believe also in neighbor. Bow in prayer.